Amen. Is that better? All right. Very good. Have your Bibles today and want to turn with us. We'll jump right straight into the Word of the Lord. And it is a passage of Scripture that you probably don't even have to turn to. You can probably uh, quote it. But uh, let's let's read it nonetheless in our hearing today. And, and we will just kind of kick it off from this point uh, in the Word of the Lord. Amen. Hope everybody had a wonderful, good, fantastic Thanksgiving celebration this week. Amen. I, I can say with certainty this morning that probably nobody is going to be able to tempt me with the turkey sandwich. Amen. I'm, uh, I'm all turkeyed up uh, and uh, probably be at least a couple of days before I want any more turkey. But uh, thankful for family and friends and all of those things we get together and, and uh, give God thanks and just commemorate our, our gratefulness for all that he has done, the blessings that he has been. Somebody told a story of a little eight-year-old girl. Her name was Christina. Christina had cancer of the nervous system. She was not doing well. Somebody asked her, came in and said, what, what do you want for your birthday, Christina? She thought about it. She pondered it for a minute, and finally she said, I don't know. She said, I've got two sticker books and a cabbage patch doll. I've really got all that I need. Sobering thought, isn't it? Contentment with the things that we have is so important. We are rich uh, and don't realize it. The poorest among us are richer than 95% of the world. I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the blessings of God. I heard another story about a little 12-year-old boy named Daniel. He had that autoimmune disease. I'm sure you've heard, seen about it, read about it, where they have to put these people in this air chamber, this bubble. They can't, they can't get outside. The, the slightest virus, a common cold that most of our immune system would just shrug off without any problems at all would probably kill them. He had a bone marrow transplant, and they thought, they hoped that it would solve the problem and, and kickstart his immune system and make it where he could get out. They asked him, they said, David, they said, what, what do you want to do when you get out of this bubble? Thinking Disney World, some exotic location to visit, some, some fun thing to do. David replied two things. He said, I want to walk in the grass barefooted. And I want to hold my mother's hand. Wow. Sometimes we take the simplest things for granted, but so good to be thankful to God for everything that God has blessed us with. In fact, why don't we just take a moment, lift our hands and voices all over the sanctuary as we begin. Give God the thanks and the praise. Lord, we are so grateful, so thankful, God, this time of year that we focus on our gratefulness to you. But, Lord, in reality, it should be every day, every waking moment of our lives that we should have an attitude of gratitude. And we want you to know today, Lord, that we thank you. We are grateful for every breath that we breathe, for every blessing that you poured out in our lives. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity and the benefit of being in the house of the Lord today with people of like faith, God, where we can lift hands and 
and voices and hearts and praise and worship and adoration to you. God, we're grateful for the blessings of God and the presence of God and the the great salvation that you have visited upon us. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you and we give you the glory. Amen, amen, amen. Ephesians 3 and 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You can be seated in Jesus' name if you like. This few words, this one verse of Scripture is what is uh, commonly known in uh, theological circles and religious terms as a doxology. It is a praising or a giving of glory and it is the ending of Paul's prayer to the Gentile Christians that he is writing to in the book of Ephesians there in that last course we know that uh, at at the writing this was a letter an epistle it was written to the church at Ephesus which was started uh, in Acts chapter 18 Paul is writing to them and in the midst of his letter There is a a short prayer that he prays for them, and he ends it with this doxology. But really, it's more than that. It is a doctrinal statement of what we believe as to the unlimited nature of God. Well, you believe that God's unlimited? Amen. He has no restraints, no chains, no restrictions. There is nothing that binds him or stops him. We serve an unlimited God, He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. If you have your Bibles there and you want to turn, I'm going to flip back to the Gospels, to the book of Matthew, and we're going to uh, take a little journey there for a few minutes. And uh, I understand uh, the restraints of time today, and I've probably got a whole lot more lesson than we've got time, but I will be aware of time and we will get you out in time to prepare for second service. So we'll go as long as we can go, and if not, we'll uh, we'll just stop right there. Amen. Matthew chapter 14. If you want to turn, uh, I didn't give the scripture to uh, our, our, our uh, media this morning, this passage of scripture. If he wants to find it, put it up there. If not, you can just read along. If not, I will read the verses of scripture as we go. Again, a familiar passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 14. And it contains the story, the relating of the event where Jesus fed uh, the multitude. One of the uh, times that Jesus fed a multitude. But chapter 14 and verse number 13, we'll start there. The Bible says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship to a desert place apart. Now, we have to back up just a little bit to the first part of chapter 14. The first few verses of chapter 14 of the book of Matthew talk to us and tell us about the death of John the Baptist, the great evangelist, the great uh, preacher indeed, uh, the, the one who baptized Jesus Christ. And he has, because of his stance and because of his position on truth and because he has been vocal about that position before Herod. They have thrown him into prison. He has uh, uh, spoken to and he has convicted the heart of Herod for marrying his brother's wife and 
and it didn't make her very happy either. And at a time of celebration, she arranged the circumstances and situations in that event so that the head of John the Baptist would be taken so that they would behead him and thus the death of John the Baptist. It's difficult for you and I in the Western world and Western society and culture to wrap our minds around events like this. It doesn't make sense to us because we're always looking for a reason. What's the lesson? What's the reason? What's, why, why did someone who was so powerful and influential and used of God, how could it be that someone who was so blessed of God and did so much good, how could they meet their demise this way? How could it all end this way where they were beheaded, they were executed by someone who was wicked and unrighteous? That doesn't compute to us. That doesn't. We're, we're flipping through the pages going, okay, Lord, show me how this makes sense. In what economy does this work? And most of the time, it just it, the pieces of the puzzle just don't fit for us. It's, death is so violent, we don't understand why there. It, it just doesn't make sense to us. It's, it's, uh, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here today, and I don't want to be morbid, but I think there are some tremendous lessons to be learned here. While we're here, let me, let, me, let me make a controversial statement, okay? So I'm, I'm telling you that it might be controversial so that you don't get mad at me. You just say, oh, Brother Moody, he's just whatever. Funerals aren't all bad. Funerals aren't all bad. And I'm not just talking about people. Perhaps there are some, some things that we need to bury. I preached a message one time about quitting. It kind of shocked everybody because we spend so much time preaching about not quitting. I am convinced that we don't need to give up, but there are some things that we need to quit. Perhaps we need to have a funeral in our lives sometime. Make a ceremony out of it. And you can do it by yourself so you don't embarrass yourself and don't, nobody sees. But, but maybe we need to have a funeral for some habits and some distractions and some hobbies, and some attitudes, and some unforgiveness, and some bitterness. Maybe, maybe we need to go ahead and bury some things in our life. I can camp out here a little bit longer if I need to. Romans 8 and 13 and Colossians 3 and 5, Paul tells us to mortify. That means to kill, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We need to have a funeral for some things in our lives. Get rid of them. Destroy them. Get them out of our minds, our spirits, our hearts. Get rid of them and make them gone. I am deter- I, I, I'm, I believe that, that we'd be a whole lot better off if we would just quit some things. Amen. Well, I feel a moving on spirit. Amen. And sometimes some good things in our lives have to pass away in order for God to gift us with something better. If your hands are full of gravel, you can't hold on to the diamonds that God wants to give you. Sometimes we have to let go of, sometimes some good things have to die in order for us to give us something better. I, I understand loss. I am familiar with grief. It's certainly not my intent here today, and we're going to get past 
to all of this in just a moment, but I, I felt like we needed to cover it. I kept coming back to it in my study, in my prayer, uh, preparing for this today. I don't want to cast a bad light on anybody that's suffered the loss of loved ones. I would certainly be included in that group. However, the passing of a child of God from this life to the next, from this world to the next, is not all summed up by grief and sorrow. I had an uncle who passed away a few years ago, cancer. Pastor of a church in a little town outside of Hammond, Louisiana, called Tickfall, Tickfall, Louisiana. Pastored there for many years, grew a great church. At his funeral, we had a grand celebration. One person received the Holy Ghost at his funeral. The passing of a child of God is not always something that is bad. We have the ability and the blessing of seeing things from a different point of view. We understand that God's perspective and, and therefore our perspective, it's a little bit different from that of this world. Earth's point of view is sadness and tragedy and loss. Heaven's point of view is homecoming celebration. A graduation into the very presence of the Lord. Death is not extinguishing the light from the Christian. It's putting out the lamp because the dawn has arrived. It's not like the world sees it. Psalm 116 and 115 declares that precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints. That word Precious is the Hebrew word yakar. It's not the old, isn't he sweet? And If I've got my, my grandson with me, he's so cute, so sweet, everybody sees me. Oh, isn't he precious and adorable? That's not the kind of precious that this is. This precious is precious as in valuable, like a precious jewel. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that God sees the passing of one of His saints as something that is precious. It is valuable to Him. Wow. Wouldn't life be a whole lot different? Wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't funerals and, and deaths and passing away be a whole lot different? And I know it hurts. I know it's painful. I've been there. I've lost loved ones. But at the end of all of that, there is a tremendous light that says everything's going to be all right. God's got this under control. God's looking at this whole thing a whole lot different than I am. Amen. Death is not the end of existence. It is the beginning of a promised inheritance. Aren't you thankful you have a blessed hope? Aren't you thankful that, that God has given us that hope of eternity? Amen. What we see as loss, God sees as gain. What we look upon as, as, as fear and with dread, God looks upon with anticipation. And so understand the mindset perhaps of the people, or at least some of the people. John the Baptist has just died. He has been executed for his stance in righteousness. The Word of God says when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place. When Jesus heard of the death of John the Baptist, he went by ship to a desert place. Anybody ever felt like when you got down to pray that the Lord had went somewhere to a desert place. Maybe I'm the only one that's ever felt that way, but you, you prayed and your prayers bounced off of the ceiling and you needed a touch from God and you were looking for Him and He certainly didn't feel like He was anywhere near. 
Jesus, the Bible says, went to a desert place apart. Somebody said one day, if you don't come apart, you're going to come apart. Every now and then, we have to come apart. We have to get by ourselves. We have to get away from the, the, the things and the, the difficulties of this world. Don't begrudge anybody uh, a vacation and a little time away. And, and uh, they might miss church a service or two, but it's all right. Because every now and then, we just kind of have to come apart. Don't, don't begrudge the pastor and his, his wife a little time apart because they have to have some time to, to, to get reconnected and to, to refocus and to strengthen their own spirit. Amen. Everybody needs to come apart. Even Jesus needed to go to a desert place. The Bible says, And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. All right, we're... we're, we're We've got beyond death and all that morbid stuff, all right? So here we go. Maybe something good. Smile. It's going to be all right. I've lived for God most of my life. I've been involved in ministry for about 35 years. I've done everything from taught Sunday school classes, assisted pastors, pastored. I'm grateful. God's been good to me. God's been very, very good for me. to me. I, my life has been very blessed. I am uh, an introvert by nature. That's just my personality. I'm not, uh, I'm, I don't want to be the life of the party. I'm not interested in being the center of attention because that's my personality. And, and I am, because of that, I, I am more of an observer than anything else. Isn't it interesting how God takes people like that and thrusts them to the forefront and says, I want you to stand in front of people and talk. And I would rather say, no, I'd rather sit on the back row and listen. But uh, God, in his, I don't know if it's his sense of humor or whatever it is, he doesn't see things exactly like we do. And so here I am, uh, standing in front of people and have been doing that for uh, probably uh, actually the majority uh, of my, my life. But I've learned some valuable lessons in life just by observing by my experience in ministry. I've learned some things about God. Let me, let me share them with you here today. Lesson number one, seldom does God negotiate. Not very often that you're going to get God to negotiate with you. If you say, God, if you'll do this, I'm going to do this. As a general rule, you're going to meet a great, big, fat hunk of silence. Because typically God doesn't negotiate with us. God, if, if you'll do thus and such, I'll live for you. Typically God doesn't negotiate. You, you're probably going to lose that, that, that battle that, that, uh, that you're trying, that little scenario you're trying to keep. And, and number two kind of goes along with that. Lesson number two, you will not manipulate God, dot, 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 ever. God is not going to be manipulated by humanity. You're not going to do something so great that you're going to impress God and you say, Lord, I'll give this to you if you will, or because I did this, would you? You're not going to manipulate God. Number three. You're not going to put God in a box. You're not going to relegate Him to a formula. We, boy, we sang this song last week, and 
Man, the Spirit of the Lord moved and touched and, and God blessed. Let's sing it again this week. Nope. You're not going to relegate God to a formula. Man, I, I, I taught this lesson or I preached this message and, and God used it and God did and God performed and God showed up. I, I think I'm going to do that again. Just like that, word for word, the exact same thing. And God is silent. You're not going to put God in a box. You're not going to figure God out. Now, I said all that to say this. I'm not sure why Jesus did what he did. Sister Grant, it seems to me like the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and say, Lord, they have just executed John the Baptist, the one that baptized you, because they executed him, a man of righteousness. They put him to death for standing up for what was truth and righteous. They were hurting. They were grieving. The Bible says that Jesus said, okay, see you later. And departed to a desert place apart. Now in my way of thinking, Brother Stacy, if if I would have written the script, uh, I would have put Jesus there with them, comforting them, encouraging them, putting his arm around their shoulder, patting them on the back, saying, come on, you're going to make it, it's going to be all right. I'm greater than John. Follow me. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to see some. You're going to see greater things than you ever saw with John in the near future. Come on. Encouraging, uplifting, speaking words of wisdom, teaching them. But the Bible said that he didn't do that. He was gone. He went to the desert place. He was gone. Now the Bible does say that when they heard he was there, that they they followed him there. Let me tell you a secret. I have learned in life that life works a whole lot better if I stop. Here's one of those things I need to quit. If I quit trying to figure God out why He does what He does, when He does, where He does, and who He does it to and through. If I stop trying to figure God out and reserve my efforts to just trying to get where He is. The Bible says they followed Him to the desert place. If I reserve my efforts to trying to figure out what page God is on. Well, he, he responded and, 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 and to the faith and, and everything that happened last week when we sang this song. But maybe God doesn't want to do that this week. Uh, he's got another plan. He's got somebody new he needs to reach. There's somebody in the house of God that needs something different. So, Lord, if I can somehow pray and, and, and seek your face and seek your will, and if I can somehow get on your page and go your direction so that your will will unfold for today. Time won't permit us today to go through the word and look at the places and the biblical precedents. You understand all that. But suffice it to say that when we make the effort to go where God is, uh, God begins to work there uh, and manifest himself. Jeremiah chapter 18, the Lord had a word for the prophet to give to Israel. He spoke to Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I need you to go down to the potter's house. Lord, can't you just... Can't you just talk? I'm here in my PJs and I'm comfortable. If it's all right, just talk to me here. 
God said, no, Jeremiah, I need you to go down to the potter's house. I've got something to show you that's relevant to what I've got to tell you so that you'll understand, so that you can portray that to Israel. Sometimes God has places for us to go to see, number one, if we'll be obedient. Uh, Number two, because there are some things that he needs to show us so that we can grasp it and understand it and wrap our minds around it. Life works better when I spend more time trying to get on God's page than I spend trying to get Him on my page. When I get to the place where me and my attitude can sincerely pray, not my will but Thine be done, can I suggest to you today that there is something powerful, something that touches the heart of God and causes hell to tremble in a heart that says, Lord, I'm so hungry to know You. I'm so desirous to experience more of you. I want to participate in your plan. I'll go and find you even if it takes me going to a desert place. Even if it takes me going to a place that is uncomfortable. I like the oasis. I like the blessings and the provision. I I like the security and the fellowship. Lord, just minister to us here. Preacher, tell a few jokes and and make everybody smile and happy and and laugh and we'll go home feeling, Lord, minister to us here. But God is not always found in the places of comfort. uh, And God is not always found in the places of convenience. Uh, There are times that the fresh revelation that God desires to give us uh, can only be found outside of our comfort zone. Verse 13 says, They followed Him. They went to Him. When they went to him, they didn't wait for him to show up on their doorstep, on their time schedule, at their convenience, how, where, and and when they thought it was good. When they followed him out of their place into his place, there Jesus ministered to them. Can can I get real real and, and real personal here this morning? And I know... Everybody's not here, but probably the heart of the church is here today. Why do we have a pre-service prayer? We're going where He is. Why do we begin with praise and worship? We're turning our attention to the throne. We're going where He is. Why do the praise singers and the praise leaders seek God in in prayer and in practice and and we enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise? Why? Because we're going where He is. Why did you get dressed up and show up today in spite of a thousand reasons and excuses why you should stay home or be with family or be doing something else in this world? It's because we are endeavoring to get where He is. Is I know that God is omnipresent. That means He is everywhere present. I know that where two or three are gathered together in His name, He is declared, there am I in the midst of the omen. Even though we are often in the presence, we can still be disconnected from His plan. Anybody here today, you don't have to raise your hand, rhetorical question. Anybody here today like to see God help somebody? Somebody that walks through the doors of the assembly today carrying a need, a burden, in despair. Life is not good. Would you like to see the Spirit of the Lord sweep into this place and minister to them and touch? They walk out different than they came in. They came in hurting. They walk out healed. They came in uh, uh, with difficulties and they walk out with hope. 
I do. I want God to do that. I think God is capable of doing that. What that requires is somehow me getting on God's page. Me somehow going to the desert place where he is so that he can minister in our midst. We turn on our spiritual receptors when we walk into the house of God. We tune out the distractions uh, that we bring in. We start looking uh, for Jesus. Is he in this song? Is he in this song? Is he in the praise, in the worship, in the testimony? Is he in the shout? Is he in the dance? The Bible tells us that a young lad by the name of David, he was really a warrior, wasn't he? Went down to the brook and he gathered up. He wasn't sure exactly for sure which one God was going to use. We come to the house of God. We prepare for the things of God. We prepare for a service. And sometimes it requires us gathering five smooth stones. Well, what David basically did was say, I've got five rocks here, but Lord, in order for me to do the job that lies ahead, you're going to have to take over my rocks. You're going to have to take charge of my rocks. Sunday morning and afternoon today, but I brought several with me, and whichever one you choose to use to slay the giant in their midst, Lord, they all belong to you. We don't want to come to the house of God with empty pockets. We didn't prepare anything in our hearts. Well, I'm not preaching, and I'm not preaching, and I'm not singing, but you're praying, and you're encouraging, and you're being a We, we, we come to the house of the Lord. Amen. We're getting on God's page. I desperately need to hurry. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Healing is not always a physical thing. Spiritually, emotionally, sometimes we need a touch. And we need healing. Jesus healed them. I'm going to move on quickly. Verse number 15 starting there. And when it was evening, this was the beginning of the evening, what they considered the beginning of the evening, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon uh, to us. His disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place. Remember, they're still in the desert place. Jesus has ministered to them in the desert place. When they got on his page, even though it might not have been the place that they chose, it was there that the Lord ministered to them. And time is now past. Send the multitude away. Send them out of the desert place that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, they don't need to leave the desert place. Maybe, maybe perhaps we're not through in the desert place. 
You give them something to eat. And they said, We have but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude. You know the story. Sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke. He gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat and they were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained twelve baskets full, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Now, you can read that pretty quickly. We actually read those verses of Scripture in less than 60 seconds. It's tempting to say, I I know that story. Next. I've heard that before. Next. I've heard that lesson. I've I've heard that message. Next. Let's move on. I, I think we should consider here just for a moment again, though, what the Lord is trying to show us and teach us and perhaps remind us. Every Sunday school child has heard that story taught multiple times. It's, it's an exciting story. It is chock full of truths that are easy to sensationalize if you're, if you're preaching or teaching about it. And, and besides all that, it's a very Pentecostal story. Amen. They had church and then they ate. Well, glory. I like that. Uh, I enjoy fellowship. Amen. The story, the feeding of the multitude, one of the feedings of the multitude, the disciples come to Jesus, they're concerned. We're not really sure who they're concerned about, if it's the crowd or if it's Jesus or if it's their own growling stomachs. But they come to Jesus and they are concerned. Lord, send them away. Jesus says, no need to do that. You feed them. And they said, Moody translation here, they said, Lord, we only have a few loaves and a few fishes. We only, we only, all we have is, what we have is not enough. What we have is inadequate. What we have will not meet the need. Now I'll ask the question here today, and you don't have to raise your hand again, a rhetorical question, but anybody here besides me ever felt inadequate? I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not talented enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't have the right personality. Here's here's the simple truth. It's a foundational principle of faith. It's a principle that will sustain you in your walk with God if you will internalize it. It's a truth that when applied to life, it will contribute to your joy and your success and your ability to fulfill what God has called you to both do and do. B, here it is. They said what we have is inadequate to meet the need to to do the job. What we have won't get it done. For we only have, Lord, all I've got is this. Jesus said, oh, I like this. Jesus said, bring it to me anyway. Bring it to me anyway. I know you look at it and say it's inadequate. But go ahead and bring it to me. Go ahead and put it in my hands and let's see what I can do with it. Can I tell you this morning that God delights in the inadequate. God delights in the inadequate. And in His hands the inadequate becomes not just adequate, but the Bible teaches us that in His hands the inadequate becomes The miracle did not meet the need. 
That's not blasphemy. The miracle did not need, meet the need. The inadequate in the hands of the Creator far exceeded the need of the present. There were 12 basketfuls left over. Learn something from the Word of the Lord today. There is a vast difference in how we view what we have to offer and how God views what we have to offer. There is a vast difference in how others see what we have to offer and how God sees what we have to offer. We see what is. God sees what will be. We see what it lacks. God sees what it will become in His hands. We see shortcomings. God sees abundance. The enemy would like for you to keep your offering. And I'm not just talking about the quarter that you put in the offering plate. The enemy would have you keep your offerings, your small giftings, your inadequate talents to yourself. Because he knows that as long as it stays in the lunch basket and out of the hands of the master, somebody goes home empty. Somebody doesn't get what they need to sustain them. The enemy wants me to believe a lie. The lie is that I cannot make a difference. He'll help you view the situation minus Jesus. Just a little bit later, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and the Bible said they considered not the miracle of the loaves and fish. They forgot what the Lord had done back there. They were in a tight spot, and they needed something, and they were ready to give up and die. Jesus said, you didn't consider the loaves of the, lo the miracle of the loaves and the fishes where I took care of the need, where I bent the laws of nature and made what was inadequate adequate, where I took care of the situation in spite of you not seeing and being able to believe and understand. I haven't changed. I'm still the same. They considered not. I'm convinced that somebody can leave here today with a testimony, with a healed body, with a touched mind. With salvation, we used to sing the old song, Little is much when God is in it. When we surrender our little in the hands of the master, it becomes much. The Bible says, the Bible says that all ate and were filled. Nobody got just a morsel. Nobody, nobody got just a bite. We need to get out of morsel mentality. When all ate and were all were filled, there was still a lot left over. It's 2020 almost. Well, God's about to run out of Holy Ghost and blessings and provision. Nope. He's still got everything that you need. He's still got all that we need, church. Understand that the Word of God teaches us that He is not a just enough God. God delights in turning the inadequate into abundance. If anybody there that day went home hungry, it was because they refused to eat. I'm wrapping it up. Ephesians 3. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in that passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to flip back there with me quickly, and we are, I promise you, wrapping up. Ephesians 3 and 15, Paul writing, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, God, would grant you the church. According to, oh, I like this, according to the riches of his glory, 
You see, sometimes we think that God blesses us according to our good works, according to how good I've been this week, according to whether or not I thought a bad thought or said the wrong word or didn't do what I was supposed to this week. But Paul writing to the church, his prayer is that God would bless you not according to your deserving, but according to his riches and glory. Wow! God doesn't bless us by what we deserve. That's why it's called grace. God shines his favor on us and he blesses us far beyond what we deserve, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened. I don't always feel like I'm spiritually strong, but God grants us His great strength with might by His Spirit in the inner man. That cry, I wish I had time to, to spend here, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. I don't always feel like he's dwelling in my heart. In fact, I, I sometimes I, I feel like maybe there's some other things that are dwelling there. But by faith I understand that Christ is not visiting, not showing up on the holidays, but dwelling in my heart. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. That about covers it all. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You don't have the ability to comprehend because we are finite humanity. We can't comprehend the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of God's love. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all of the fullness of God. That's a tall order. That you and I would be filled with the fullness of God. Paul ends his prayer. Perhaps he was thinking, now I've just prayed a gargantuan prayer for the saints at Ephesus. I prayed that they would be blessed according to God's riches and glory. I prayed that they would be of God. I prayed that they would understand the infinite riches of God's love. Somebody had to look at that and say, that's just not possible with me. But Paul ends it by saying, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. You think that God's not able. Sometimes we limit God by our own minds. But I'm here tell you and teach and remind somebody today that there are no limits on God. There are no shackles on God. There is nothing that He is not. I'm not sure that God can reach in and fix my situation. Oh, yes, He can. If you'll give it to Him, I promise you He is able. Stand with me today if you would. Can we lift our hands and give God thanks for His Word and reminding us today of His infinite power and glory. Thank you, Jesus. I serve a God who is able, my Lord and my shepherd, my King and my God. There is nothing too great for you.
You can touch from the guttermost to the uttermost, Lord. You can reach into the very depths, uh, Lord. You can bring out and you can help and you can heal and you can strengthen. You can fill us uh, with the fullness of God. You are able, O oh God. We, by faith, turn it to you and say, do it, Lord. Stretch our faith, O oh God. Let us see beyond the realms uh, and the limits of our human mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody said amen. You are dismissed, amen, for a few moments.